Hi, and welcome to Sam Was Here, a podcast for parents who have lost a son or a daughter to addiction. My name is Angie, and Sam was my son. He died of an overdose in November of 2022, and he was 23 years old. I'm here to talk about Sam's addiction, his death, the aftermath, and my choice to move forward. I hope other parents will recognize that they are not alone and be inspired towards healing as I share the steps that I have found useful in my own grief. We can't bring our kids back, but I believe that we can and should grow stronger in their death because it's the only choice that we have. The saddest truth about losing a son or a daughter to addiction is that it's never going to be okay. Today I'm going to talk about four topics. First, I'm going to list 11 realities to losing a son or a daughter or a loved one to addiction. Second, I'm going to discuss my other children, my three other living children, and how I think they're doing at this time in their grief. Third, I'm going to tell you who my specific gurus are during my healing process. I believe that we all need different types of people and information. I'm going to let you know who I have found to be the most helpful for myself. And fourth, I'm just going to talk a little bit about my process over the last week and what's been going on. And then I'm always going to leave you with a reminder of three simple steps to start feeling better today and the weekly limerick. I want to remind you I am not a licensed professional. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a grieving mom here to share the story of my son's addiction, death, the aftermath, and most importantly, how I am moving forward in hopes that I can inspire others too as well. So on to topic number one, 11 truths of losing a son or a daughter to addiction. Nine months feels like a really long time in most situations regarding dealing with a death of a loved one. We can go a long ways in nine months. However, I feel like in my case with Sam, nine months is just barely starting to scratch the surface. So here are 11 truths that I came up with. One, there is a permanent hole in our hearts that will last forever. Two, time without effort heals nothing. Three, life will never be the same, but it can be full again. Four, healing does not mean that we are dishonoring our son or daughter, simply that we are honoring our own life and the people that love us. Five, our new job is to build muscle around our broken heart because it will be broken forever. Six, Birthdays, holidays, and weddings will always feel a little bit off because someone is always missing. Seven, some reminders will feel good, others will feel bad. Eight, the people who always told us that our kid just needs a passion during their addiction didn't have a kid who was addicted to drugs. We always need to remember that. Nine, when we let ourselves just miss them without trying to take the blame or the concern of all that we had to do with their death, It's really, really painful because taking the blame, ruminating about the ways that we didn't do things correctly, what that does is it actually distracts us from the horrible, unbearable pain that our son or daughter is dead. And to feel that truthful, deepest pain without inserting ourselves so deeply into the picture truly is painful. 10. This is an opportunity to become very bold and courageous in who we were meant to be as human beings. If we can survive this, we can survive and handle anything in front of us. And 11, most importantly, we need to always remember that the gift of our loved one during their life, the relationship, the connection we had with them, 
and the reason that we love them so, so deeply will always shine brighter than the tragedy of their death. We need to hold on to that light as we process their death. So there are so many more truths, and a lot of these have to do with just losing a son or a daughter in general. But these are things that I think about when I think, holy crap, some days I feel so much pain. Just last night I fell asleep with tears in my eyes, and I think, wow, this depth is not going to go anywhere. It's something to be reckoned with. We, I have to work really, really hard to go through the depths of this pain and to become settled in the depths of this pain. The second topic I want to talk about is I want to just share a little bit about my other three children and how they're doing. I want to start with my oldest son, Terrence, who's 32, and he is Sam's older brother. He was eight years older than Sam. Actually, would that be right? Yeah. Yeah, just because of the way their birthdays line up. So Terrence was about eight years older than Sam, and they had a really great relationship. When Sam was little, that age gap gap really uh, prompted him to look up to Terrence and he was so excited when he would come home from school every day and they did a lot of things together. Terrence was so good to him and he taught him so many things. He was so kind and patient at all times and as they grew up of course Terrence being older, getting out on his own, getting married, having a house and things like this, he became very involved in his own life as we do as we grow up. But they still remained close, and Terrence really tried to involve Sam in projects and invite him over. And as with all of us, we experienced sometimes Sam was receptive and sometimes he just wasn't. He was too deep into his drug usage. So when Sam died, what I have seen with Terrence is a great deal of pain, but also a great deal of logic. He has sort of an engineer brain, a really technical brain. So he did a lot of research during Sam's addiction. He knows a lot. And this this path took a very logical course. Of course, we all wanted a miracle. But for Terrence, I think that his mind settled in this a little bit easier maybe than mine did just because of, well, because I'm the mom, but also just because of the way that the different brains process different things. And then moving on to Spencer, Sam's little brother, They were also really, really tight, and I've talked about them a little bit previously. Sam was the typical big brother. He both would try to protect Spencer, and he would also try to be naughty with him. And they were really, really close, and as they grew up, I watched Spencer really look up to Sam. He would call him Am. And so he just, he followed him around just like a little brother does. But as they grew up and Sam became deeper into his addiction, it's as if the roles reversed. Spencer was out having a job, making money. Sam would sometimes call him if he needed help. So Spencer was a little bit more involved in with directly with Sam during this time than either Terrence or Sam's little sister, Lauren. So I believe that the guilt trip that Spencer has gone through has been quite significant. The unwarranted guilt trip, I should say. Because he felt because they were closer and Sam opened up to him more than he did uh, Sam's dad or I. So I think Spencer really felt like since he has the in, had more of the in, he had more of the inner workings of what was going on and had more understanding of Sam's relationships, the debts he had to cover, etc. I think he felt like he had more control than he did simply because Sam trusted him more and let him know more of what was going on. 
So I have watched Spencer walk through that in the past nine months. I've watched him walk from unbearable pain, unbearable pain, into a truly inspirational life where he's made big changes. He quit his job that he had for almost four years in order to go back to school. He's deepened relationships. He's read a lot of books. He's worked hard to become better in spite of his pain, and I've been really proud to watch him. Moving on to Lauren, Sam's little sister. So, of course, Sam adored, adored his little sister. He always said he would be his big, her biggest protector, but drugs became more important, so that never really happened, although the sentiment was definitely there. He really just adored her because he, he wanted to protect her. He wanted to be there for her, and I think that the fact that he couldn't caused him a lot of shame and a lot of pain as well. The big connection that they had was food, Lauren loved to cook for Sam and Sam loved to eat. And I remember when he was in prison and we would talk to him on the phone and they would discuss, well, when you get out, Lauren would say, when you get out, I'll make you this and I'll make you that. Sam would be all stoked about it. So the interesting thing about Lauren was that she left for college last August, a year ago. And that's when Sam's addiction had gotten really, really severe. And we, I think that we all sort of knew this was either going to had to get better or it was going to end. And so when she went to college, the way I look at it is she left six years of living in a house where a lot of attention was diverted to trying to save her brother's life. And that's understandable. That's how families work. You stand over the fire that is and you try to put it out. And when that fire lasts for six, seven, ten years, however long it lasts, the other people that would also be receiving some of your attention during that time do suffer. So it's almost as if Lauren's leap to college was just this big expansion for her. She had new friends. She was suddenly out of this difficult time where constant ups and downs regarding Sam. And she's really, she really, really flourished. And even after the funeral, she had so many distractions going on and so many friends. She was doing a lot of skiing and climbing. So she sort of muted herself for a while. And now I'm starting to see that she's starting to open up a little bit more to the pain that is. And she's starting to feel a little bit more and starting to walk through it. And the interesting thing that she did without really thinking about it, she took a college class to fill a requirement and it's called death and dying. And as she got the syllabus, she realized that she would need to explore some of her own experience with death and dying. So I think that in the front of her mind, she wasn't really thinking of it, but probably in the back of her mind, what I see is that that makes it, she's a little bit ready to start approaching the subject. She's had this time to kind of ease into it. So I think that my point here is that just as each of us parents has to deal with this differently so do our kids. We might need counseling. Maybe they don't need it yet. Maybe they need it before we do. Maybe they need to talk more. Maybe they need to talk to us. Maybe they need to talk to friends. We all process this differently. So what I've done in relation to my kids is I've always tried to be just really, really open and receptive. I've been receptive to their anger, to their frustration, to their resentment, to their pain, And I've let them know that they're going to feel it in different ways and that we all have to make some choices, whether we let this tamper us down or damp us down for the rest of our lives or whether we let us, it makes us stronger. 
so Lauren and I actually spent last um, a couple a few days ago together. I was with her on the 20th of the month, which is the anniversary of Sam's funeral. And it was the first time, I think, since he died that there was a sense of really strong connection between us. And I really felt like she kind of is relaxed more into the idea of processing Sam's death. So I think that just as we all need different types of people, different types of healing, so do they. And we want to be there. We want to honor their feelings is the way that I feel about it anyway. But we also want to keep a close eye out for some of the indications that things might not be going as well, such as if they shut down, if they start really not wanting to talk about it, if you start noticing, if your kids are younger, if they start to get into the bad habits. There's a lot of dynamics there, a lot of things going on. So I believe that even though we're so grief-stricken as parents, we have to pay attention, be observant, but also be very respectful as we watch our kids walk through this process. Moving on to my third topic, and it's a little bit related. We, Like I said, we all have different ways that we help ourselves through this kind of suffering. So what I've realized is that I have gurus that might not really resonate with everybody. So some of us are more processors. Some of us are more talkers. So when we have a tragedy, some of us feel more comfortable listening to a podcast like this, where I talk about it, something that you can relate to and maybe inspiration to move forward. Some of us feel more comfortable finding ways to move forward and thinking about it and ways to think about things differently and then providing that. And that's sort of where I am. So what I've done is I've listened to people that have nothing to do with death but are very positive people, have great ideas on moving their life forward. And I've gotten a lot of information from them that I've turned around and used in my own grief and then turned around and shared during the podcast. So I'm going to tell you just who a couple of them are. The first one and probably the most important one is Mel Robbins. I listen to her podcast and I can really relate to her because A, she's a real person. B, she acts like a real person. C, she discusses real issues. She takes you into her own life, talks about real issues. Her issues are different than these issues, but I get so much strength listening to her be vulnerable and real about her issues. And she's always providing practical and concrete steps to move forward, which I use in my own life. And then sometimes I turn around and present in the podcast. Second person who I have found hugely beneficial is Jay Shetty another um, worldwide personality. I find him really smart. He's inspirational and I like the way that he thinks. I believe that he understands what's most important in life. And when I listen to him, I feel like some of these societal layers get peeled away. Believe it or not, those layers of the ways that we, the way that we behave in society and the way that we think about death, I mean, those get thick during times like this and it's really when they matter the least. So I feel very grounded when I listen to people like Jay Shetty. Uh, The third interesting is Dave Ramsey and his whole crew of personalities. They make me laugh. They make me feel like I'm on the right track financially. And particularly John Deloney, he's a counselor or something. He's part of the crew and he makes me feel like a normal human being. He really appreciates the pain that people go through in their situations. And I love listening to the way that he talks people through. And it's helped me a lot. Another one, which is my only one that's not living, is Zig Ziglar. I've listened to and read things about Zig Ziglar for years, and I think he's really funny, but he also really illuminates the idea that 
where we focus is where we go. And that we can achieve things that we focus on if we keep our focus on there. And I like that idea because my goal is to hold my grief tightly and boldly in my heart, but to grow stronger as I move forward. And that is my focus. And when I listen to people like Zig Ziglar, I realize that that's possible. That is possible because anything's possible if we really focus on it. And I also am inspired by Instagram. I follow quotes that, that make me feel like, okay, I've got this, that keep me focused, that are inspirational. And it connects me with other people who are going through difficulties like this. One thing that Mel Robbins said, which is super important, is that when we step into our own shoes, when we really become who we are meant to be, our social media becomes a matter of self-expression. It becomes a way that we relate to the world. And what we seek there is to connect with other people who relate in the same way. And so social media has been really beneficial for me at this time. And it also reminds me of what a great, big, beautiful world this is because there's so much inspiration. There's so much beauty out there. And all you have to do is take 10 minutes a day, which most of us don't, but 10, 15 minutes a day and just scroll through cool things to be inspired and to feel a little bit better. My biggest, probably most important guru is my dog, Luna, because she has been by my side for nine months now. She and I are glued at the hips. I actually pet her way more than she likes to. Sometimes she actually gets up and walks away. But just to have that in my life with her is so important. So moving on to my last topic before we close out today is my own timeline. I always like to mention at this point, we're all on a different timeline. Whether you've been grieving a month, seven years, nine months, whatever it is, you might relate to some of the things I say you might not, but it's not important because you get to where you get at the time that you get there. And I just talk about where I am at this point. So I think I told you, I did say earlier that um, on the 20th of the month, which is the anniversary of Sam's funeral, I chose to spend the day with my daughter and she took me up in the mountains near Gunnison to these beautiful places And it was a really awesome, heartfelt connection that we had. And it had really been lacking with her being gone, me grieving, all the different things that go into newly adulting and that separation of parent-daughter. So it's it felt really good in my heart to reestablish the connection a little bit more because we've always been a very, very close family. And Lauren and I have very have been very, very tight. Last night I fell asleep with tears in my eyes. And as I talked about earlier, I'm always sucker punched by this pain. I can feel, I do continue to feel stronger and stronger as I take steps forward, but then all of a sudden it's as if I'm not even expecting it and it lands me flat on my ass. And I have a lot of respect for this pain because when it does happen, then I freeze. I try to acknowledge how bad I hurt and it's still really, really difficult to, it's like my mind doesn't go that deep into the depth of how much pain I feel. So I'm always surprised by how this just knocks me down each and every time. One of the really cool things that I noticed in myself is that I've naturally been gravitating more towards human connection again. Human connection to those people that I don't know, but can still have good conversations with. When I was out in Gunnison, with Lauren. She was at a party and I was at the hotel by myself and I got invited to sit alongside a campfire when I took my dog out. So I normally would not be doing that at this point in my life because I've spent a lot of time alone crying 
and just being alone, watching TV when I'm at a hotel, things like that. But I chose to sit with these two couples that were traveling. And it was really a wonderful experience because I felt so enlightened and I felt so good. And I remembered that, oh, this has been something that's missing a little bit more in my life that I am gravitating back towards that I feel grateful for because connection is so important. And that is about the last of this podcast. But before we close out, as always, I want to remind you of three things that you can do to begin your healing process and feel better now. The first thing is every single day, do one thing that gives you joy or used to give you joy. If you are brand new to your grief, nothing gives you joy. But the minute that you can, try to participate for any amount of time in something that used to, because we want to refire those connections in our mind and remember that we once had joy. And if we can do it for a little bit of time, then it's going to build and we can start doing things for longer periods of time. Secondly, do one thing that makes your life better. And by that, I mean, cover a responsibility. I will probably say this every single podcast, but when Sam died, I didn't care about anything. And there's still a lot of things that I should care more about and I don't. But what I do know is that when I don't handle my responsibilities, it adds to my grief. It compounds to my grief. It makes it feel heavier because it makes my life feel even more out of control. And third, the most important thing you can do is every single day connect with at least one person who both understands and supports you in your journey so that one day you can turn around and support somebody else who is exactly where you are right now. And that is all for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining. Here is this week's Limerick. Time means so little now. It's more of a question of how. To get through my days and see through my haze as I live to my grief, I bow. Thanks for stopping by today. Please pass this podcast on to anybody who you think might find it useful. And join next week as I discuss more about Sam's addiction, his death, and my decision to move forward and the steps I'm taking to do so. Have a peaceful day. We'll see you soon.